You are about to listen to a message from David Bendet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's desire is to see people lit on fire by God's love, His Word, and His presence. So prepare yourself to be inspired by the wind and the Word, and get fired up about what God's doing today. I had a lot of fun this last few days. I went to Dallas for a conference with Lance Wallnow and uh, Bob Hayslett and Brad McClendon to a young hipster church called The Upper Room. And uh, everybody had really cool sportish haircuts, tight skinny jeans. I, and I felt a little bit out of place with my gray beard and my long hair. But the good news is they have the same culture that we do. And I knew that I was in a church that was very similar to our church when I walked in and I could smell manger. When it smells like manger, you know you're in the right place. Manger is a little bit messy, it's a little bit stinky, and you have a lot of people with animal natures that are getting crucified and transformed to become more like Christ. Welcome to Rock City Church. Okay? And so uh, it was really good, but I have to tell you, I really missed home, and I really missed being here with each of you. I missed it a lot because you're my culture. You're... You're my people and I'm yours, and we're in this together and we're family. And as much as I enjoyed going somewhere else and seeing other people, I really love coming back to be together with you because I get to do life with you, and I get to walk through the good times and the hard times and the ups and the downs, and we, we really get to build a family the way it's supposed to be. For those of you that are visiting, the heartbeat of my message is what the kingdom of God really is all about and what it means to truly know who you are in Christ, and the kingdom it's about patterns, not formulas. It's not about five steps or three steps or the 10 ways to get to the voice of God or to become more like him. We become more like him by spending time with him. We become more like him by, by pursuing him. We become more like him when we recognize and realize that he called us to be sons and daughters, not robots and Christians that just do what we do out of duty. The kingdom of God is family. The kingdom of God is mamas and papas and brothers and sisters. The kingdom of God is being true and genuine and authentic to who you are and letting the Lord do what he does best in the midst of that process without us trying to tear down and judge each other, but rather we encourage and we edify and we nourish and we support and we love. And it doesn't mean we don't call out things that don't need to be called out because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says that the spiritual judges things that are spiritual. But it means that I'm wind-driven and I'm looking for things that are wind-driven and God breathed in your life. And when it's not, I lovingly, through the care and the life and the breath of God, help you, not try to fix you. Because only Jesus can fix me, and only Jesus can fix you. But in a world of religion in the Western Americanized church, we're always looking for the pastor to be the answer. We're always looking for more programs, and we're always looking for more structure, and we're always looking for just tell me how to do it. Just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. If God would just tell me, but he did tell you. He told you through his written word, and if you'll listen close enough, he'll tell you through his spoken word. Right now, I can hear the voice of the Lord for every single one of you. And at the same time, you can be hearing the Lord for yourself. It's fascinating. It's wondrous that all of us at the same time could uniquely be hearing the voice of the Lord on our own. And it can all line up and be unified together. Because if we're hearing from the same God the same Holy Spirit, we can all be unified. And that's what the Lord wants. He's looking for unity. 
not denominational. I mean, you should have seen this morning. It was, it's so fun when I go and do the sunrise service at Cinnamon Shore. You know, it's a, it's a three to $500 million development. Five million, five and six million dollar homes on, are in my backdrop. Well, I was actually facing the people, but I'm looking at million dollar homes and people that are on vacation at Easter that are there with their family that are Catholic and Baptist and Lutheran and Methodist. And here I come. I mean, just when I, just when I walk up to the front, I get wide-eyed looks like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? And in a short amount of time, I got to tear down walls of religion, and I got to tear down walls of ideology and theology and intellectual and wisdom of men, all these things that will actually clog your mind and get you in the way of knowing the beauty and the wonder of who God is. When you lose your wonder, you lose your hunger. And many of you here this morning have lost your wonder. Where's the fascination with God, everybody? Where's the fire? Where's the passion? We go through religious motions and we have this religious piety that God is not pleased with. It's not about measuring up and performing. It's about being who God's called you to be and discovering who that is. And we're all in discovery process. How do you do this? How do you do a church like a garden? Read more manuals and the five steps to get people to give more. Institute text giving. Have more programs, more connections. Shorten up the services. Four songs. Worship needs to be shorter. Sermons need to be shorter. Read more books. Or just be a family. Because I like family. Poopy diapers and all. And a shepherd's going to smell like their sheep. It gets messy at times, doesn't it? But in the midst of the dying process, God works out the messiness if we'll just be patient with each other. Because some of you in your dying process have manifested massive ugliness. Your, your death process has been ugly. It's been backsliding, 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 anger, fighting, abuse, drugs, porn, oh, just dysfunction, dysfunction, dysfunction. But if we'll love each other and you'll stay the course and you won't give up, I promise you, you will die. And when you die, there comes life because today we're, we're celebrating life. And many people will come to church on this one day more than any other day of the year because of religious piety. Because they think it's their duty. I guess if I'm going to go, I might as well go, go, go celebrate the risen Lord when most people don't even know what that means and why he died and why he had to rise and why the blood is powerful and what Jesus is as our high priest. Most people don't know those things. And he said, if you want to really celebrate the resurrection, if you really want to be like me, then you have to die too. All of us are in the process of dying. Some of us are in a faster process and some of us are in a slower process. But what I've learned is that if I can get you to see how much Jesus loves you and how patient and kind he is with you, and if I can reflect that, you'll keep coming even when you fail. And you'll keep pursuing him even when you fail. Because I've learned through massive amounts of failure, things I don't even want to repeat, I've made more, more mistakes as a Christian. Things that I knew better 
not to do that I did in my long journey of dying. And even still to this day, there are times that things come out of me and I go, oh, I thought that that was dead. And it's still God refining it out of me and reminding me that the old man is dead. I'm not the old person anymore. If you've given your life to Jesus, the old you is dead. Let's keep him dead. And if he's not dead and you don't understand what that means, then let's crucify him today so we can really celebrate the resurrection the way Jesus intended. Because it wasn't about good services and it wasn't about going through the motions and it wasn't about you did your church duty today. It was about laying our life down so we could become his disciple. It was about us dying to see our sons and daughters and our children's children and the generations be everything God's called them to be because they're looking to you. My children will look to each one of you unless you disengage and I don't see you here. And if you disengage from here, please find a place, please find a home that teaches you about family, life, garden, and the power of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of who he is in the midst of a manger. That's what we want. And I'm, we're not the only one in this city. But the point is, is that if you don't disengage, then our sons and our daughters and the generations behind us, wherever we go, will get to experience the beauty and the wonder of who God is in patience and kindness and in love. Yeah! Woo! I'm fired up. I've only had one sip of coffee today, by the way. Only one sip of coffee. I love what I get to do because what I'm doing isn't work for me anymore. What I'm doing is being on vacation full time. I get to talk. I mean, I love to talk. And you guys come and listen to me. Thank you so much. I'm so thankful you come. I don't really think I'm that good. I'm not kidding. I don't think I'm that good. But you come because I believe you're hungry for more. You come because you're looking for something more than what we've experienced before. You come because you're looking for authenticity. And if I'll be genuine, I always say things I shouldn't say. Always. Every week I go home beating myself up thinking, why did I say that? Why did I say that? I shouldn't have said that. And then God says, son, I made you just the way that you are. Stop comparing yourself and worrying about what everybody else says. Just be yourself. Because when I become true to myself in the midst of loving him, then myself will die and myself becomes found in him. You can be found in him. And you'll only be found in him when you lay your life down. And it's not about you. And you stop worrying about what everybody else thinks. And you're not so self-conscious. Because God set you free from what I think. And God set you free from each other and having to be valued and promoted and to measure up from everybody else. Now, I need you. We need each other. A body would be, would have, would be deficient if we didn't have all of us in function together. But coming to a place where you don't have to be valued by everybody else and you're valued by the Lord, when you get your needs met and your unresolved issues resolved in Christ, it changes everything. And if I can get you to go to Jesus, who's our high priest, I mean, when we really understand what's taking place right now, you know Jesus rose today, right? But guess what? He only rose to right here. He'll walk the earth for 40 more days. He rose from the dead, and for 40 days which is the perfect number of a generation, 
For 40 days, he would demonstrate to his disciples that he did what he said he would do and don't give up the faith. He would walk around encouraging over 500 people in Jerusalem for the next 40 days. But we already got the mindset, oh, he rose, he's already up there. No. He's walking and talking, baby. He's drinking coffee. In my mind, he is. I know he was eating fish by the seashore. Why wouldn't he have some coffee? That is not theologically and doctrinally proven, but it it is in my world, all right? If we're going to understand the power of the resurrection, we have to understand the power of the crucifixion. If we want to really fly, we have to die. I'm just a walking dead man. I'm already martyred. The word testimony, I have a testimony, right? Prison, drugs, a failed marriage, destruction, paths of destruction. I have a story. This testimony in the story proves that God has crucified who I am when I tell that story because my testimony and my witness in the Greek means martyr. So if you're born again, you're already dead or should be. Woo, I'm preaching good today. Because these aren't the things you're going to hear on a Sunday morning Easter service. And this morning at Cinnamon Shore, I brought the heat full speed because the Lord said, these people may never hear this message anywhere else ever again. Because people don't teach go to the cross. People teach that we come to the Lord to beg for mercy and that he really wanted to kill you, but because he, you know, couldn't really kill you because he created you, he died, he killed himself. He was really mad. And none of that makes sense to the world, and it shouldn't make sense to us. For God so loved that he gave. And he gave so that we could become like him, and to become like him, we have to be crucified with him. And what I've got here, and I love you all, and many of you are and some of you aren't, I've got a lot of us here that have not fully been crucified with Christ. And the thing is, is being crucified with Christ only hurts when you don't want to let go of the things he wants you to let go of. Otherwise, take it, Lord. When it's about me and my selfishness, when it's about me getting my needs met, when it's about me bringing comforts to my flesh, that's the only time it hurts when the Lord says, I'm taking that away. But if you say, Lord, it's all yours anyway, whatever you want to do, I put it in your hands, it's so much easier. Everything belongs to him. Jesus made it clear that unless he died and gave his life, then there'd be no reproduction of life on earth. John 12, 24, I love this because I've preached it so much here, but it's so fitting for this morning. You have the triumphant entry and here comes Jesus and everybody's crying out Hosanna. And instead of a white stallion with a sword and a crown, he rides in on a donkey, which means humility and peace. And that he's a humble, lowly servant. And that the king would come in lowliness to meet you right where you're at in the midst of addictions and struggles and lack of death and it's all about you. He would come to meet you so he could help you to lay your life down to become more like him. But the people were looking for him in a different way. 
And as soon as he comes in on the donkey, here comes affluent Greeks to, to the Passover, to, and they want to see him, and they probably have a lot of money. If you do the research, the Greeks that would travel to Passover in those days were philosophers that had a lot of money. And they wanted to see Jesus. And so they go to the disciples and say, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus responds saying this. He says, actually right before this, he says, I'm about to be glorified. And then he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So what he was saying was, you really want to see, the Greeks really want to see me. But if I lay my life down, millions and millions of people and generations will see me. This is way more than the affluent Greeks. This is way more than little sects of popular people with money. This is way more than this little group who may be able to be world changers. If I lay my life down, generations and millions and millions for thousands of years of people will be transformed because of what he does. So he says, look, unless a grain of corn, he's using, he's using botany terminology and gardening terminology. What's the very, when Mary Magdalene ran to the tomb, she didn't recognize Jesus. You know that? You know what she thought Jesus was? You know who Jesus looked like? A what? Because he's the vine and we're the branches. And he wants us bearing fruit in our life. And there's all kinds of fruit. There's first the fruit of the spirit. That's being like him. And there's the, then there's the reproduction of spiritual sons and daughters and advancing the kingdom and the fulfillment of the great commission that so many of us aren't doing. Some of us are. And when I say that, I don't say that to be mean and beat you up, but I say it to challenge you. Somebody has got to challenge us in a way where it makes sense, where we understand, look, it doesn't have to be weird. You don't have to be the bullhorn evangelist on a milk crate on the corner shouting hellfire and brimstone. You can look at your coworker. You can look at the lady at Stripes. You can look at the Burger King drive through person, and you can say, you know what I see in you? What's that? Purpose and promise and life. It's the same thing that happened with Jesus and Nathaniel. And here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. But just a few minutes ago when Jesus saw him under the tree, he was saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was a doubter. He was a skeptic. He was full of apathy. And Jesus comes along and says, here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Really? Our eyes should be transformed to see people with telescopic vision the way Jesus sees them. Instead of beating people up, condemning them and pointing out your sin, you already know your shortcomings. Let's pull you up higher. We pull each other up higher because we're a family. We pull each other up higher because we're mamas and papas. We pull each other up higher because we're sons and daughters and we're getting the nutrients from heaven because we're husbandmen's, we're farmers that cultivate the kingdom of God in our own lives and it produces herbs, which that means botany and it means that I'm nourished instead of producing thorns and thistles in my life. Woo! Sorry, that's a scripture in the Bible. You guys may not even know what I'm talking about. It's Hebrews 6. That were to be fields that produce life instead of thorns and thistles. So that's what Jesus said. He said, I've got to die. And if I die, I'll produce life for so many. 
and it's the same for us. Dying to self was the central part of Jesus' theme. So right after verse 24, he goes right into verse 25. So he says, look, the Greeks want to see me. These people, but look, if I lay my life down, millions and millions of people are going to experience me and see me and know me for who I am. I'm going to produce life. I'm going to reproduce. And then he says, verse 25. If you love your life, you're going to lose it. And if you hate it, you'll find it. And that you need to keep the life in Christ that he puts inside of you for eternal life. That you've got to lay your life down. If he did it, you can do it. So let's have some interaction. If he did it, let's say it together. Come on. If he did it, I can. If he laid his life down, I can lay my life down. If I want to rise with him, I've got to die with him. Hence, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Where are the walking martyrs? Where it's not about you and your career and your money and your business and your stuff and even about your own family first. And I love family and I love my children. But Christ is central. He's my number one. Now my family's like a number one point two. Thank you. Appreciate that. If we love our life, we have to lose it. We have to lay it down. And some of us have our pretty comfortable lives where everything works. And when it doesn't work, you get confused and you struggle and you think that God's against you. But what he's really trying to do is strip away everything that's of you. Your perfect little world. All the things you want to do, all the places you want to go, all the fishing you want to fish, all the travel you want to travel, all the stuff you want to have, all the money, all your career, all your college education, everything you worked so hard for. And he says, if it's before me, it's going to be stripped down because everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And we blame it on the devil. And the Lord's coming like a freight train to drive out anything because right after this happened, right after the triumphant entry, you know where the very first place Jesus went to was? The temple. So there was going to be a visitation in the temple. There's going to be a visitation in the temple. And anytime Jesus comes to visit you, he's going to turn over the money changers in your life. Whoa. And it's okay. I'm not even upset. Because <laughs> I've learned, God, it's yours anyway. And when you put him front and center, when you seek first the kingdom of God, guess what? Everything's added to you in the way he wants, not your way. And some of you today have just not let go. I don't, you just got to let go. What is it? What are you hanging on to? Your life needs to be lost in Christ. Luke 9, 23 said to them all, if anybody desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I said, Lord, how do I deny myself? I can't be more religious. I know that's not the answer. How do I deny myself? What does it mean to take up an instrument of death and be crucified and take up my cross? He said, follow me. They all go hand in hand. But we want to create a formula out of it, don't we? Three steps. Let me give you three steps to your freedom, bro. Number one, you better deny yourself. And number two, you better take up your cross. And then you can follow Jesus. Really? If I don't have his help, I don't even know how to begin to deny myself. If he doesn't intervene in my life, I'm a mess.
It's awfully quiet in this Methodist church today. <laughs> we all must die to self by laying our lives down and doing these three things, but following Jesus is the answer. It's not that hard, everybody. He's not playing hide and seek. He just doesn't want your religious piety. He wants you for who you are. And if you'll be authentic and genuine and real and stop pretending and go get with him, you can't know anybody if you don't spend time with them. No one. And if you won't pay the price to get to know him and yet you want to cry out to him in every crisis situation, come on. Woo, I'm fired up today. Yeah. Mm. Man. Jesus would go on to say in John 12, 26, that where he is, there we'd be. Where he is, there we'd be. Are you where he is? Wherever he is. And guess what? He's here. He's at HEB. He's on the island. He's hanging out at your house. He's on the boat. The premise is, is that I don't have to go everywhere else looking for him. The premise is, is if I follow him and I lay my life down, then suddenly everywhere he is, I am. And everywhere I am, he is. Man, there's some anointing in this room today. I don't know about you, but I am really feeling it. Because you're hungry, you're expectant, you wouldn't have come here today to this church if you didn't want more. And I'm so glad about that. Thank you. You parked and walked in the door. You got up out of bed even when you didn't really want to. The Lord never disappoints everybody. He never disappoints. Remember that. He never disappoints. Later in John 12, 32, Jesus would say this awesome scripture. John 12, 32, I love this scripture. He says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. To be lifted up means to be elevated. I posted this on Facebook. I really enjoyed it and I got a lot of likes, but now I have to see people do this. It's more than a like on Facebook. You have to die to fly. And so he said, I need to be lifted up. The term lifted up means to be elevated. He's talking about his death. So he'd be elevated on the cross, right? But guess what? Three days later, today, in the middle of the night, early in the morning, when, when it was still dark, the tomb was empty. Guess when the tomb was empty? When it was still dark. In your darkest hour, he's resurrected. And he would, be res he would be lifted up on the cross three days ago. He'd be lifted out of the grave today. And in 40 days from now, he'll be lifted up off the earth. Yeah. Three elevations. Everybody say three elevations. Yeah. Do you know that there's three elevations for your life? Here they go. Number one, you die. And you get born again. Okay? Baptism. Baptism is a picture of his death. If any of you have ever been baptized, 
It's going down the old, coming up the new. It's symbolic of his burial and the fact that you now did it on earth the way he did it. And so you have three elevations. You have to take up your cross and die. Everybody say, take up my cross. Now, here's the good news, everybody. Take the pressure off. I'm not, it doesn't mean like you have fully arrived. Nobody fully arrives to death. It's a process of becoming more like him. Dying means I'm becoming more like him, and it means that I'm in this lifelong process. Because if anybody says they're without sin, they're a liar. So don't put me on a pedestal. I've got my own walk to walk, but I'm challenging you guys to become more like him and to go through these three elevations. First is taking up your cross. The second is, is walking in the newness of life because baptism, it says in Romans 6 that when you're baptized, it's symbolic of, as I'll paraphrase it for you, and that when you come up out of the grave, you should walk in the newness of life because that's what Jesus brought was newness of life. Everybody say newness, newness. of life. life. Where's the new you? It's the new me, everybody. I went in the dressing room and I came out. I got a hairdo. I got some new clothes. What do you think? It's the new you. Everybody say the new me. Elevation number two. Elevation number three, Jesus said that where I go, you're going to get to go too. Where I go, you're going to get to go too. Let's look at this. John 13, 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Anybody know, want to know where Jesus went? The disciples were like, Lord, where are you going? We just really want to know. They're walking with him on earth. They've seen him. They've talked. He keeps talking about, I'm checking out. I'm leaving. Holy Spirit's coming. They keep saying this thing, but they couldn't get it. Even when he was being crucified, they couldn't get it. Even until after he was raised from the dead, they couldn't even fully get it. And yet he told them so many times. How many times do we have to hear before we finally get it? been going to church my whole life, and I didn't get it. I'm just now starting to get it, and so are you. It's a new day. God's releasing new understanding and knowledge about who he is, but we'll only find it, we'll only discover the wisdom of the mysteries of God when our intellect is crucified. Our intellect needs to be crucified. In fact, the title of my message today is Crucified Intelligence. Peter says, where are you going, Lord? He says, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will afterward. So where he went, we get to go. Hence, you're seated when you understand that when you're born again, he positions you at his right hand in heaven. So I'm here and I'm there, which means I have government authority on earth which means I can take hold of the promises from the garden and rule and reign and have dominion and subdue and be fruitful and multiply in a non-controlling way. I can do it like he did. It means he brings me back to original intent. So he went there, I go there. And we get to stay in both places and follow him wherever he goes. John 14, five through six, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? How many of you would like to know the way? All of us do. And he said, where I'm going, you, he said, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the way. So we're looking for programs and how to become more spiritual and more theological, more her hermeneutical, smarter. I got to know more. I got to go to Bible school, Bible college, theological school. I got to get my Master of Divinity 
I want to know, no, 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 no. And if you're not careful, all that knowledge will actually separate you from God. Because we become too smart for our own good. And Jesus says, I am the way. He is the journey. Jesus is the answer. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus can make following him so clear and simple, yet in theory and understanding can be so difficult for so many people? It, it's so easy, yet it seems so hard. And so many people, you'd think they'd get this and that everybody would be just lit up. But, but it's so hard for so many people because we make it so complicated. Because instead of being like a child, we become mature adults. The more church we went to, the more knowledge we got, the more hard-headed and block-headed and distant we got from God because we knew too much. This is why he said that in the grand scheme of things, the way of life would be narrow. He's the narrow way. He is the narrow way. It doesn't mean that the way would be so hard. See, that's what it seems like. Broad, broad and easy is the road of destruction, but coming to Jesus, man, it's so hard, and, and I got to twist, and I got to turn. I got to be more religious. I got to be more this and do more that and all these things. Instead, he wants you to be like him and to pursue him and to take hold of him because he's the way, he's the narrow gate. He doesn't want you to be good. He wants you to be spiritual. And I say that a lot, and some of the first-time visitors may have never heard that. So let's all say that again. We'll say it till the day I die because people have to get flipped out of their intellect into the concept of being spiritual because the curse from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was death, and it was intellectual death. It was intellectual death. So Jesus would have to re reverse the curse by crucifying the intellect. Jesus would have to undo what man did in the garden. So let's say this. God doesn't want me to be good. He wants me to be spiritual. And the reason why that flips people out is because they say, what do you mean God doesn't want me to be good? No, God wants you to do good, but you can only really do good when you're spiritual. Because there's a way that seems right to a man but the end thereof is death. Are you guys okay? It seems right, but it's killing you. Your religious piety and your religious lifestyle and all the things that you, th that you think you're doing right that aren't working. Because there's a lot of hurting and broken people that walk through these doors. Depressed, medications to sleep, medications to make me happy. Thank goodness for coffee, because if we didn't have coffee, I'd be hooked on Ritalin. <laughs> Come on, guys, that was funny. You, it's all right to laugh. My doctor really said, there's no way I'm giving you Ritalin. Drink your coffee. <laughs> you know, I'm being a little bit tough today, and I'm not out to be mean, but I'm out to challenge you. Because I got to get you out of the, the, the skull church. I got to get you out of going to the, the church of the skull. Really. I'm going to show you that. These things are important. Spiritual disciplines are important in the right context with the right understanding. However, discipline with the wrong motive and understanding simply becomes legalism in disguise. And I know legalism in disguise really well. If I have my quiet time, if I have my worship time, if I read my Bible, if I go to church, 
If I do all the right things, God will be pleased with me and I'll get a reward and I'll measure up and he'll be happy with me. Instead of seeing him as a good father that loves me and instead of coming to him because I love him, I'm coming to him out of religious duty in hopes to measure up to get something from God instead of just loving him as my daddy and being a son, and now I wish I had every minute of every day to read my Bible. I'm just consumed with his word because I want to know him desperately like a lover wants to know a newfound lover that they've never met when you first fall in love. You want to know everything. And all of us, when we first fell in love, or on the phone, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours at a time, love, love, every day we talk about our whole life story in the first five conversations. We got to know everything. And that love and that fascination and that wonder should be towards the Lord. And when you lose your wonder, you lose your hunger. And if you are not fascinated by God, I'm telling you, you've lost your hunger. You don't have to agree with me, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Because anybody I know that's not fascinated with the Lord has a false pretense, and they're not really hungry. And we go through our religious motions and we go to church because we feel like it's the right thing to do instead of being fascinated by it. And we don't teach it to our kids. And instead, Hollywood and Harry Potter and Star Wars and Lord of the Rings captivates the hearts of our kids. But the wondrous power of God in delivering people and casting out devils and signs and wonders and praying in tongues is a side product that was for everybody else but not for us. And our kids are being led astray by Hollywood. So God says, I'm going to create a new video, and I'm going to put a church in an old Hollywood video, and I'm going to show Hollywood what the real video is about. You watch and see. He's just preparing us. Because he's not going to share his glory with anybody. We can't go in and take any accomplishment on ourselves that we did it. No animal nature is coming into his glory. So he's crucifying us so that more outpouring can come. You mark my words. Man. All right. Coffee time. Sorry, the nine o'clock gets to enjoy my coffee with me. It's just the way it works, okay? If I drink it at the next service, then it I robs my nap in the afternoon. And I've got to have my Sunday nap, all right? I've got to have it. The greatest challenge for most men when, when it comes to living a successful and productive Christian life is our intellect and the desire for knowledge. Intellect is a terrible master, but a wonderful servant. Okay, so Jesus, or I'm sorry, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, it's all about bringing to nothing the wisdom of men. And the, the prudent, he would totally abolish the, the wisdom and the minds of the prudent. And if you look up the word prudent, it means intellect. So Jesus would redeem the curse by hanging on a tree. Galatians 3.13 says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So he became the curse that was handed down to earth. He became the curse. He hung on a tree. Oh, we, Calvary, Calvary time, Calvary, which in the Greek means skull because in the Hebrew it's Golgotha. Jesus crucified the intellect. He hung on a tree and took a crown of thorns, which was the curse from the garden because there were no thorns and thistles in God's original intent. So he would become a thorn and a thistle. 
Who knows what a thistle is? You know what a thistle is? A thistle is a prickly purple weed. Jesus would become a prickly purple weed. You never heard that in church before. They'd twist a crown of thorns, shove it in his head, and take a purple robe in mockery and then hang him on the dead tree on a skull on the place of the skull. And if you read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, I'd encourage all of you to read it. There's divisions. People are, are creating sex and separating themselves. And he says, is Christ divided? No. And then he says, I didn't preach, come to you with the wisdom of men because if I preach with the wisdom of men, I'll make the, the, the cross foolish, come to nothing, in vain. I'd make what Christ did in vain if I tried to do it with my own wisdom. And then he'd say, the foolishness of God... Is of, the wisest, is of the wisest of men. The word foolishness in the Greek is the word where we get the word moron. It's moronic. It's idiocracy. It's silliness. And I'll make it even more silly if I try to be good. Because I'm just doing it all in vain. And if I try to use my own wisdom, and if I try to do give you guys really great words so you like me and I hope you come back and la, la, la. No, I want the power of God to transform you and walking miracles start with a, walk, with a death and if I can get you to come to the cross and be crucified with Christ, I can get miracle working sons and daughters everywhere around me. So I, the main thing isn't signs and wonders and miracles, though I love them. I love laying hands on the sick and seeing people healed. I love seeing deliverance in people's lives. I love I love praying in tongues. I love the outpouring of the fire. I love the wonders of God. I love the supernatural. I love interpreting dreams. I love to dream. I love visions. I love trances. I love all the wild side of God. But if we're not dead to ourselves, then when those things come, they'll actually kill us because, because Paul said that he actually will bring to nothing the wisdom of the wise and the prudent. And the word nothing is atheism at its finest. Nothing is atheism at its finest. Thorns and thistles were now a part of God's, of that curse, and it was a curse to the earth. Let's look at Genesis 3, 17 through 19. This is the curse that came from the garden to the ground. Cursed is the ground for your sake. The ground is actually cursed for our sake because it will ultimately, the curse will actually reveal and bring us back to Christ. Because when I'm sweating and I'm unhappy and I can't seem fulfilled in all my money and all my homes and all my stuff and all my cars and when I'm depressed at night and I can't sleep at night and I've got all the things I ever wanted, but for some odd reason I'm, I'm miserable, Jesus would come and he would redeem that curse. And now, because I can see the thorns and the thistles in my life, I'll now realize he became a thorn and a thistle and now I can come to him and be completely set free and now I can have satisfaction in my work instead of my work being laborious and miserable and vexing and toiling and sweating and the, I can, the curse can be reversed because now the wealth of the wicked can be laid up for me 
and we can own shopping centers and have people buy coffee right now that makes me money while I get to do what God's called me to do because I'm doing it in his will, not out of arrogance and pride because he gave it all to me anyway. And now my intellect is submitted to him. It doesn't mean intellect is bad. It means that God wants you to be spiritual and that he wants your mind renewed in Christ. You're supposed to have the mind of Christ, not the mind of yourself. So he said, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it'll bring forth for you and you will eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. So you'll still eat herb, which means a tender shoot. You're still going to get it, but it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard and you're going to sweat and there's going to be thorns that come up in it. So how do you know if you're eating from the wrong tree and still under that curse? If you're unhappy and you're miserable and you're not satisfied and you're depressed and you're all the fruits of darkness. So you first have to realize it so that we can reverse it. And that's what Jesus did today. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus this weekend reversed the curse and became it. He became that curse. Are you guys seeing this? Not only would it be, not only would thorns and thistles be around now in abundance, thorny ground would also become a condition of our heart. So we see the parable of the sower, and in Luke 8, 7, it says that the seed, the word, fell among thorns. He's talking about people's hearts. And the thorns sprang up with it and choked what? Choked the word out. Thorns in your life. What are the thorns? Let's look. Luke 8, 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they heard, they go out and are choked with what? Cares, riches, pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. And we have some immature fruit bearers here because there's thorns in your life that are choking those things out. And what are the thorns? I'm telling you right now, it's the cares of this world, it's intellectual understanding in our own strength and not being spiritual. Being good, being religious, going through the motions and not being awakened and on fire and passionate. And like a child, I'm just a big silly little kid. I just wanna have fun and do what God's called me to do because it's fun when you do it his way. And I don't have it all together. And I'm not the best speaker. And I say things I shouldn't say. And it's a little bit messy. And we don't have all the right programs. But so what? Because we're becoming more like him. And we're weeding out the weeds in our life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, ultimately known as the tree of death, would produce thorns and thistles. And you'd have to work hard from the sweat of your brow and you'd be worried and anxious and nervous. This is where worried and anxiousness and I can't sleep at night and my mind's running and what if this happens and my kids don't make it and I lose my job and what if God doesn't really love me? What if God doesn't come really through? Maybe God really isn't good. Maybe he really doesn't care. I made my bed and have to lie in it. I'm such a screw up. God's just punishing me for what I've been through. People believe that kind of stuff. People believe junk like that. So what would happen is justice would be perverted, injustice would be rampant, and man would use his own mind, wisdom, and intellect to serve himself. And in this, anyone and everyone that isn't born again will inevitably be separated from the wonder, beauty, majesty, mysteries, and the power of God. Paul would say, I'm not preaching with the wisdom of men, but I speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And the mysteries that were hidden before the foundations of the world now come to the unintellectual, the foolishness of the world, 
yet to partake of hidden promises of God that only come from the secret place. Mystery means secret. So I get to share secrets with you that I got from the secret place, and you get to get secrets in the secret place for yourself and your family and your life, and you get to get the hidden answers that are mysteries, which is the wisdom of God. It's a renewed mind. It's a mind of Christ. It's, cruci- it's intellectual crucifixion. You guys are some smart guys here. I got some smart mamas and women here. CEOs and COOs and very smart intellectual. You guys got it going on. But he says, I'll take the wisdom of this world and I'll make it foolishness. Because when you get to heaven and when you stand forth, you're like, man, Lord, I, in- I invented the internet. I-, I invented satellite technology. I invented this new technology. Oh, man, really? Did you fulfill the Great Commission? Because, because God still released these intellectual understandings, but even then, that's not the purpose of it. If he gives you, can you imagine when you invent something so, invent a technology when it was spirit-led through a dream, a word from God, and you're submitted to Christ, and now I make millions and billions of dollars, and I don't have to be like the CEO of Apple Instead, I'm a fired up, on fire son and daughter that has millions of dollars of wealth that I can funnel and fuel for the kingdom of God. There are people like that all over the world. Now you're submitted intellectually and you're no longer a blockhead. Because nothing, when he says, I'll bring the wisdom of man and nothing, the word nothing means to become a blockhead. Ain't no blockheads in the kingdom of God. You're not going to be a blockhead anymore. Here it is right here, and then we'll close, and we're going to pray. 1 Corinthians 1, let's have Nathan come up. Let's pull this up so you understand it a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. The message of the cross is idiotic, silly, stupid, and moronic. The message of the cross. The Son of God would hang on a dead tree and take a crown of thorns and a purple robe in mockery, and they would quickly write out a sign. Here's the King of Kings. Little did they know that, that Jesus was truly being promoted, and this would be his promotion by taking the curse. And it's beautiful when you look at it through these lenses. He was a thistle. says the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The word power is the word dunamis in the Greek, and it means miracle, mighty force. It's dynamite power. It means I can walk up to Aaron and say, I see supernatural promise in your life, and every struggle and every challenge right now, I declare is going to leave you. And I just lay my hands on him, I take every thought captive, and I nourish him, And I speak life to him and promise to him and hope to him because I've been enlightened. I can enlighten him and I can speak promise through prophecy and the breath and the word of God and I can do it in a normal way that's not weird (laughs) because the churches have made the supernatural of God abnormal. You see a demon come out of something, oh, ooh, weird, abnormal. 
abnormal. Oh man, your shoulder's hurting you. Father, thank you right now for your healing power. Abnormal. Not in your life. Because we're super normal natural Christians. And we're going to make the supernatural normal because we're going to do what Jesus did. And to do what Jesus did will require a crucifixion of the intellect. If you want to fly, you got to die. It's the power of God. This is the scripture I really wanted you to see so you can make the decision to come to the cross. Verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Please look at this scripture. And I'll bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. This isn't prudent like you better be diligent about everything you do, though that is the definition of it. This definition of it is prudent as in I'm mentally put together. Research the word. I got it all together. Prudent is where we get the word intellect. None of us are too smart for our own good. All of us should be submitted to the king. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Can you imagine what we're going to do? Can you imagine what this force of Rock City can do in this city when we're wind-driven by the breath of God? To be spiritual is the word pneumatikos. It means I'm breath-inspired. And all you got to see today was breath-inspired. I don't know how to formulate it. I don't know how to can it. I just know how to be me and breathe the breath of God out of me. That's what I want for you. Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet. Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up!